Life is good, but it can be better. Oh, oh my God. Welcome to Spieling and Dealing, everybody. I am Patrick S. Harrison. I am broadcasting live from the back of Francis McDormand's van. And joining me, as always, uh, from a courtroom in Chicago, he's a promising young man, Academy Award winner, Samuel J. Oliver. That's high praise. That's high praise. Of course. Yeah. You know, I couldn't remember if you're an Academy Award winner or if uh, you lost out to Daniel Day-Lewis one of those years. I can never... Everyone loses to Daniel Day-Lewis, so... I, there's, there's no, no shame, shame in that. that. Yeah, no shame in yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely no shame in that. Uh, on this week's episode, uh, we've got our big Oscar preview. Uh, also, Sam and I are going to be making our picks for what's going to be walking away with gold this Oscar Sunday. Uh, and then a little later, we're going to be talking about the grand finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, this has been six weeks in the making. Excited to see what Sam thought of the finale. And then later, we're going to be talking about Nobody, uh, the new Bob Odenkirk film in theaters and available on VOD. And then we're going to be talking about a pair of new HBO Max shows, uh, Made for Love, starring Kristen Milioti, and also Mayor of Easttown, starring Kate Winslet. I'm very excited to talk to Sam about that. Uh, but first, uh, everybody knows uh, this is not really a podcast, okay? It's an hour-long Apple TV Plus ad, and this week... Uh, the trailer dropped for Ted Lasso uh, Season 2, uh, and it was a pretty crazy trailer, okay? Uh, now, uh, Ted uh, is just an extreme capitalist, right? And so he's trying to get the owner of AFC Richmond uh, to join a Super League uh, with the other clubs in Europe. Uh, y- you know what, Sam? I think I'm mixing up my stories. Uh, you are the resident Ted Lasso hooligan. Uh, what did you think of this trailer that dropped? I knew you were going to mention the Super League. I just knew that the Super League would come up in some way. Uh, this was the the least confrontational way you could have raised it, so I'm, I'm happy about that. But, um, yeah, I love this trailer. It it picks up on all the vibes right away. The jo- There's like three or four really good jokes just in the trailer. I hope that's not all the good jokes in the series. But, man it's really getting me amped for Ted Lasso in July, mid July or something like that. It comes out. So July 23rd. Yeah. yeah, I am. I am excited. There was a great California joke. There was a great Dodge Ram joke, the, which is like really a middle America joke. Uh, yeah, there, there was a ton of good stuff in this trailer. I'm super psyched. I'm excited. July 23rd. Uh, but Sam, it's the Oscars week. Okay. Uh, we're going to preview the whole show, but before we get too far into it, Sam, I just want to know, uh, first, are you going to watch the ceremony, and what is your general excitement level for the Oscars this year? I I am going to watch it. I don't know if I'm excited, but I'm very curious because they are. this is the first one they're doing like basically in person. Not basically. This is the first award show they're doing in person since uh, the Oscars last year, basically. Which was pre. I mean, I watched some of the Grammys. Like, there was people there. I wasn't counting the Grammys. Nobody cares about the Grammys. Why? There's live people there. It's an award show. Yeah, it's for music, though. It's you know, whatever. But uh, I guess I was just talking. I, not I guess I'm just talking about the art or entertainment. I guess uh, I don't know. I don't know how to. Do, I don't ever watch the Grammys. I hate the Grammys. Screw the Grammys. But these these are entertaining to me. Um, 
I'm just curious how it'll go off. I, it seems like it's going to be a combination of uh, virtual and in-person, which some of the other ones have, but they haven't had a crowd. I, I, I'm just curious to see how it works. I am not going to be watching the ceremony. Uh, I've I've never been like this unexcited for the Oscars. First of all, they're having the ceremony way too late this year. Okay, it's late April. This should be happening in late February at the latest. Uh, I know what they're saying. Oh, COVID, yada, yada, yada. Listen, like the NBA built a whole freaking bubble. Okay, like you're, you're a town full of producers. You shouldn't be able to pull this off earlier. 2020 also was just a down year for movies, in my opinion. Uh, it just was. Uh, I don't think, well, I guess we'll find out. But I don't think either of us are that passionate about any of these nominees. Uh, and then I hate that they're still doing the no host thing. I, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, if you were to put Kevin Hart or Dave Chappelle on one of these commercials, like ratings would go up 20% automatically. Uh, it's it's not that hard. Uh, Sam, before we start with, with our awards here, um, I just want to go through the Best Picture nominees because these films are going to appear a lot uh, in the categories we're going to cover. Uh, for, for Best Picture, the nominees are The Father, Minari, Mank, Judas and the Black Messiah, Promising Young Woman, Trial of the Chicago 7, Nomadland, Sound of Metal, uh, and then I also mentioned uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, because that's up for a lot of the technical categories, so that's going to come up a lot. Now, Sam, uh, just to, we're going to pick what we think will win the award, not our favorite, what we thought was the best in any category. Uh, we are trying to predict the awards accurately. Uh, and there is a lot on the line also uh, with today's picks, okay? Uh, whoever loses, okay, has to pay. Sam and I are going to be going to the QAnon pizza shop, uh, Comet Ping Pong the in pizza Washington, D.C. Pizzagate. Yeah, the pe- Pre-QAnon the, the pe- Pizzagate, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so uh, loser has to pick up the tab. And everybody knows how much I hated that documentary. So if I have to pick up the tab, I'm going to be pissed, okay? I put a lot of thought into this. Uh, to be honest with you, I feel like this is like a... I really... Normally, I have some sense what's going to win. I really... I do not feel confident in my picks at all. Uh, and so I think we're going to differ on a lot. Uh, I, I'm uh, really excited. And uh, so we've got 14 categories. We're not going to be doing the screenplay awards. I know Sam and I did not read a single page of any of them. Uh, we're not doing the best shorts and the best documentaries either. We did not see those. Um... But Sam, all that being said, uh, let's start with uh, the first category, uh, Best Visual Effects. What did you go with? I think we're going to be on the same on this. Tenant. I went with Tenant. I went with Tenant as well. Okay. Uh, the yeah. only thing that's surprising about this category is that The Midnight Sky is nominated for an Oscar. If that wins, dear God. But uh, it actually won the sort of uh, predictive uh, guild award from the Effects Society. So it, really? look out, people. Yeah, I, I feel like tenant, tenant, because the way they use practical sort of camera tricks to make you know things move look like they're moving backwards and forwards in time, uh, to me it's the obvious choice. Like, I'm surprised it wasn't nominated for more stuff, honestly. Um, At least sound or something like that. Yeah, yeah but but uh, you know, like we, we that was the one of the first things we did on this podcast was review tenant, and it is. A visually stunning movie, but it's bizarre movie. So, you know, to recap basically what our analysis was at the time. Category number two, best makeup and hair. I went with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I did too. I did too. Uh, okay. We got to okay. keep track of like where we're differing here. That way we know like what the, the tally yeah. is. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll, we'll go back and listen. We'll be fine here. Okay. Number three, best costumes. Uh, again. I went with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Okay, I went with Mank. Uh, 
I went with Mank on costumes. Oh, okay. Okay, Sam going Mank here. Okay. We differ one already. Okay, number four, uh, best production design. So if people don't know, this is like uh, the best sets, the best props, uh, basically the physical environment of the film. Uh, for this, I went with Mank. As did I, actually. I went with Mank as well. I remember struggling okay. with these two. I don't remember all the, the nominees in these two, but there were some that were like, like Ma Rainey's was the one I went back and forth with on costumes because there were good costumes. And with Mank, there was more costumes. It was like Ma Rainey's is very contained movie. That was that was the only difference I went with there. You know, I actually did not watch Ma Rainey until this morning, uh, but I was like, you know, it's nominated for so much stuff. I was like, I better watch this. Um, let's see here. Uh, next. Oh, this one I think is very difficult. Uh, best editing. This category, I feel like, is so hard to like judge as an outsider because you have no idea what the editor did, really. Um, but I mean, this one, I thought the father could win. I just, it's just so little. Like, I mean, the editing was great in that movie because, like, to like pull off the feeling that they go for. But I ended up going with the trial of the Chicago Seven. I went with the father. Uh, I think okay. To okay. me, I, I mean, I sh- I put down father or sound of metal. Um, for the for this one, just because the way that they're edited is so key to how you experience the movie, and it is in all movies really, but like in these specific specifically, it really makes a difference. So I think the father, to me, was the, was the choice here. See, next is best sound, and do we even have to do it? Yeah, uh, sound of sound metal. metal. Yeah, it's sound of metal. That's why I'm I'm wondering. Like, I, I think they're going to divide, you know, sound editing and, you know, the visual editing. So that's why I did not go with uh, Sound of Metal for best editing. Uh, number seven. We're just moving right along here. Best cinematography. What did you go with? This one was hard. I went with Nomadland because... What? Oh, my God. Because they... I mean, you're probably right, but it, yeah. It's like, you know, it takes place in a lot of very visually nice places. There's, you know, outdoors a lot. That's what I went with. Um, I'm not excited about that pick in any way, but that's I figure that's what they're going to choose. That's a really interesting reasoning. I think it's going to be Mank. Uh, technically, it's a much more difficult film. It was a much bigger crew. I mean, a lot of Nomadland was literally just the camera and like outside in natural light. Uh, I, I would be surprised if it was Nomadland. So I'm, I'm going Mank here on Best Cinematography. Uh, okay, number eight, Best Animated Film. I went with Soul. Sam, any chance you went with Wolfwalkers? No, I went with Soul. Okay. Pixar always wins this category, so it's like you're just taking the odds here. Yep. Okay, number nine, uh, Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Sam, I'm going to let you try to pronounce the Minari actress. So we're both going with her. Yoon Jung Yoon Jun Yoon? Yoo Jung Yoon? Sorry, I apologize because she was really good in this movie, and I I liked her a lot. But uh, I guess we're going both with her. I, she is to me, she's clearly the choice. I think it's Yu Jung Yoon. Yes. Okay. Uh, number ten, uh, best supporting actor. We both have Kaluuya. I'm guessing. Yeah, both went with Kaluuya. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Eleven, best actor. I think Chadwick. Probably both of us. So yeah. Chadwick okay. is going to win. Anthony Hopkins would have been my pick. Uh, but Chadwick Boseman is going to win this award. Okay. Uh, number 12. I think we could get some disagreement on this one. 
Uh, best actress. I went with Viola Davis. Uh, yeah, this one was harder. This one is the more of a toss-up. Um, I like that. Normally, these things are so decided. Yeah, but it seems like I, it's a toss-up. I think it's going to be Andra Day. She won the Golden Globe. I think she has more to do in her movie than than Viola Davis. Uh, she has a lot more to do um, in her movie. So that's why I went with her. Uh, but it is really a toss-up in this category for me. On the, I was looking at the online casinos. Uh, Carrie Mulligan is actually the odds-on favorite in all the online casinos. Just thought I'd say that. Let's see here. Uh, number 13, uh, best director. Uh, probably both have Chloe Zhao. She's won everything leading up to yeah, this. Yeah, she's been cleaning up all the awards. Yeah, it's like a good story for the Academy to, to pick her. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to point out, uh, I think it's possible that two actors uh, from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you know, win Oscars on Sunday. And George C. Wolf, uh, the director of that film, was not even nominated. So that's a bad look, I feel like, if that happens. Um, but anyway, uh, let's move on to the big hardware, Sam. Uh, best picture. Uh, I will go first. It, it pains me to do this. I, I wish I could pick The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, which I think has a chance to win, but I played it safe and I went with Nomadland. I already said the father would have been my choice, but I, I think, yeah, I'm gonna go with you know what, just to be different, just so we're on different pages with this, um, and the bet is a little more exciting. I'm gonna say Minari, but uh, I think it's between those two clearly, like with all the heat that the Academy gets for diversity and all that stuff like these are the like between chloe zhao and then a, a, cat, a movie about a bunch of korean people in the middle of america this is clearly like the two that will win i feel like minari could pull off the upset in the wake of last year with uh parasite but um no my land seems to be the the favorite based on all the other awards uh sam i'm telling you you better get your wallet out because like, i definitely won this i like I'm going to be ordering big, okay? I'm going to get a full pizza, wings, beer, all right? It, seriously, I'll get all the leftovers because you, you can eat like two slices of pizza, so I'll get all the leftovers. That's true. I eat like a bird. Yeah, let's just look this up. Wow. Yeah, Minari. What a pick. Wow. I better not win or I'm going to look like an asshole next episode. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, Sam, uh, five years from now, no one is going to remember what won Best Picture this year because let's be real uh the most memorable film from 2020 was shot on a cell phone uh and it was of derek chauvin uh putting his knee on george floyd right uh and you know this week that trial just wrapped up and it, that kind of segues uh nicely into the falcon and the winter soldier uh which you know got uh, got pretty deep on race here in episode six uh the finale of the Falcon in the Winter Soldier. Uh, Sam, uh, what did you think of this finale episode? It was it was good. It was good. I wouldn't say great. There were things that were really great, but overall, I thought it was a, just a solid ending. I wouldn't say it blew me away. Um, like, it's half action, half sort of not action. I don't know how to say it, like talky. Uh, the the first half, the action, pretty enjoyable to me. There's some really good action scenes in there. Um, some of the wrap-up stuff hit, was hit and miss. I liked the stuff with 
Captain America now or now Captain America, Sam Wilson. I like his stuff. I like the he goes back to oh, well, by the way, spoiler alert. We got to start saying that like right off the bat in every episode, but um I like the stuff where he goes back and talks to Isaiah Bradley. Um I like John Walker. I like we've been uh Wyatt Russell as John Walker. I like the sort of culmination of his arc in here. Um the fact that they just completely abandon Daniel Bruhl as Zemo is like inexcusable to me. It's ridiculous. They just dropped him in the last two episodes, gave him essentially nothing. Uh when he was one of the most compelling characters for the first four. First well, two through four, because he wasn't in the first one. Uh I'm I'm iffy on the sort of Sharon Carter the uh power broker storyline but again i'll just reiterate and then bucky bucky has a pretty pretty good uh rounds out his uh story pretty well um so things i really liked things i didn't i just will call it solid in the end it, it didn't end with a dud but it definitely didn't like blow me away uh, i wrote down a quote here that i want to read before i get into my critique of this episode uh a wise man once said uh Mercy bears richer fruit than strict justice. Okay. Uh, that's uh, Abraham Lincoln slash John Walker. Uh, I just want to say I've enjoyed this season of television even more than that. I've enjoyed uh, talking about it with you. Uh, in this episode uh, specifically, uh, I liked the uh, John Walker redemption, and I'm glad that he's going to be sticking around as U.S. agent. Uh, I'm glad that we got to see uh, Julie, Lu- Julie Louis-Dreyfus again. Uh, and I also liked uh, the song that played during the uh, my boat scene at the end. You know, I love that. Uh, <laughs> it was by an artist named Curtis Harding called On and On. I ended up listening to his whole album this morning. I really enjoyed that. Always like when I get some music I liked. Uh, but uh, in general, I did not think this was a very good episode. Okay, uh, here's, how, here's how the episode goes. Uh, we get a 25-minute uh, action sequence uh, that features like the worst helicopter flying I've ever seen in my life. Okay, it's absolutely ridiculous. And that action sequence ends with uh, the new black Captain America uh, fighting a redheaded girl. Uh, Okay, and uh, then after that, we get a five-minute sermon on race, uh, which I have a major problem with. I know they had the best intentions, but I have a major problem with it, which we're going to get to in a second. Uh, Yeah, and then we get the wrap-up stuff with uh, Bucky making his amends, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I absolutely hate the Sharon Carter thing, okay? Why is she the power broker? She's not an interesting character. She's not an interesting actress. But let's cut to the the sermon on race that happens uh, after the main action sequence. Uh, I I wrote down what they said here. Uh, One of the the senators, right, uh, refers to Carly as a terrorist. Uh, and she is a terrorist. And uh, Sam goes, no, you have to stop calling her a terrorist, okay? People use these labels uh, to stop people from asking the question of why. And I didn't quote it accurately there, but it's a clear allusion to the protesters uh, in the Black Lives Matters movement uh, being called, uh, you know, rioters and looters, right? That's the, the that's definitely the parallel they're trying to draw. And it's not a fair comparison to them at all because— Listen, Carly is a terrorist. Sam, are you, will you admit that now? Are you on board with that? Yeah, but I'm not on board with like you're dismissing the the points that they're trying to make with her character. 
just because she, she does is a bad. terrorist. My yes. point is she is a terrorist but, and Sam needs to get on board. Sam's sympathy for, for Carly, the entire show, including this episode. I mean, she has a gun drawn on him. She's going to kill him. Okay. Like she wants to kill him, but then Sharon Carter, you know, shoots her like right before that at the last second. Uh, Carly was a terrible character. Uh, this entire show, she, she should have never been such a big part of it. Uh, but I, I had such a big problem with how the show showed her so much thim- sympathy throughout. I don't know. You know, like she was a terrorist. I I'm not going to deny that, but she, her points she's trying to make aren't necessarily wrong, and that's what Sam's trying to get at when when he says the things he says. She like kills like countless innocent people. Uh, she tried to kill a lot more. But I, she's like, trying I, to help I, I do people. Not get the show's she's trying to help displaced character. persons. She's trying to like do good for for people who are underrepresented. Under and that's what they're trying to get at, and it's trying to reconnect connect him and. It's done it all through the show, but him being a black guy in America, they're trying to connect that experience. Like he, yeah, I know they are, and I think it's a terrible comparison because Carly is just a straight up terrorist, and I, I think it's a terrible comparison. Yeah, we we've been over this over and over. Right? You know, you just have no sympathy for her whatsoever, despite having no some decent points that she was trying to make. But oh my god, Sam's still on Team Carly. No, the speech you're referring to, I found it pretty cheesy. I, I don't typically like when when shows that are very earnest throughout, even like uh, superhero shows or sci-fi or whatever, like shows that you're not supposed to take as reality, um, do have this sort of, like I find it cheesy when they have a character give some sort of high-minded speech like this. Um, but I think some of it is effective in what they're trying to say. But it is generally cheesy. Like, uh, the message is there for me, but I just don't like it when it just takes me out of the whole thing. Like, that would never happen in real life. You know, like, if, if there was a real Captain America, he wouldn't just stop and give some speech to a bunch of senators. And then it was a senator and some foreign dignitaries. And then they would just, like, sort of bow their heads and, like, oh, yeah, this guy's right. Like, they don't fight back at all. Like, yeah, we watch politics now, and that's how things work is somebody gives some you know, speech, some liberal gives a speech in the middle of the street and all these people just sort of accept it as like truth. It it just is not, it just takes me out of it. Uh, You know, that said the speech, you know, is very rousing. Like I felt the emotion of it. It just doesn't have like, it just feels cheesy. You know, I think the main reason we're both disappointed is because there wasn't enough boat talk on this episode, right? We get a little bit of boat at the very end and the boat's only in the the background, you know, they're partying on the dock. They you know, wrapped like, the boat storyline up. They wrapped it up but last like, time. But Sam, we need details, okay? Is, is Sarah actually going to charter it, like she said, for extra cash, you know, last episode? You know, or is it just going to remain a fishing boat? I mean, we need to know. What are the economics? How is Sam going to pay for that? I mean, that boat that boat needs maintenance, Sam. It needs gas. We need a full... This needs a spinoff show, I think. They're doing Captain America tours on the boat, okay? You get to pay, like, thousands of dollars. You get to take a boat ride with Captain America, He'll fly around with his, you know, Captain America's, it's Captain America's, like, mixed with the Falcon because he's got wings now. So, you know, it, it's a whole experience you get to pay for. And then they're going to be rich. You know, soon enough, they'll be getting that Tony Stark money. Okay, Sam, uh, pitch for you. Uh, what about, like, a fictional below deck that takes place on Sam's boat? What do you think? Is there is there something there? Yeah, they're gonna have to upgrade boats. There's no, there is no below deck in this boat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah below deck, yeah, you need, you need some work. quarters. Yeah. yeah, but 
I, I like the general premise when they get rich enough to buy a yacht. Okay, I like it. I want to talk about a couple of the characters wrap up, right? Just like for a minute. All right. So John Walker. No, go ahead. Yeah. I loved the, and there's a theme in this whole show about, be, be about, about choosing to be a hero. Like you have to make an active choice to like be that person, right? They go through it with Bucky. They go through it with Sam. And then they, they find they you see it culminated with John Walker here where he's out for vengeance, but he makes the choice. Like it's a little bit of a redemption. You called it a little bit. He makes a choice to save people over his, his vengeance and it does redeem him. But I like that he's wearing the Captain America outfit. He has his, uh, his do- dollar store shield that he made um, that's just getting you know destroyed by all these super soldiers. But he makes an active choice to become a hero. He's going to be probably some sort of anti-hero type character going forward, like maybe sort of on the side of good. Uh, I think you'll probably love him because he's going to be like out there murdering people, but they're probably bad people. So you're all on board with this guy. As Hell yeah. You, his character's U.S. agent. Um, but I do love that. I think he had probably the most complete arc from start to finish, and I give Wyatt Russell a ton of credit. I think he was great at addition to the show. And made the show a lot better. And I want to I wanna h- hear your thoughts, but I thought the scene where he go, where Sam goes back to, at the end, to see Isaiah Bradley and then takes him to the Captain America Memorial where they created an exhibit for him, that scene got me, like, pretty emotional, honestly. Like, uh, just the, the – well, you see him watching Sam's cheesy speech on TV and, like, you know, it's sinking in with him. Um, after the way he sort of was so resigned in the last episode. And then when he takes into this exhibit, I just, you know, like the way I just connected it to uh, a lot of what, a lot of the bad way that black soldiers were treated in World War II, you know, a lot of them came back and were not treated with the same respect. And like that scene kind of had a good effect on me. I thought it, it really connects. I thought it was a really good scene. I, you might have found it cheesy. I don't know, but I, I just really liked that bit personally. Now, Sam, did you did you like it even more than than Carly's tearful death? I knew, man. I'm sure that had to have you racked they, up as well. I mean, you love no, Carly. Not Were at you all. crying when when Carly died? No, oh, not no? at all. Oh, okay, just I was, I was just curious. Uh, no, nah, I mean, I, I thought it was a nice scene. Uh, but to be honest, with you, I was ready for the episode. I, honestly, my favorite part about that scene was just when I actually like uh, Sam goes to the door and then the kid's like, "What do you want?" And he's like such a dick to him. I thought that kid had a funny. Well, he's moment like, there. "What do you want, Black uh, Falcon?" He was like, "You need to learn some manners uh, yeah. or something." Yeah, the, yeah. The Black I, I really. I, I mean, like I that, enjoyed this, that. The, where Sam's giving the speech. It was right before he gives the speech, and he saves like some, the people, and it was kind of the end of the whole action bit. And this old black guy is standing there watching, and he's like, oh, that's Black Falcon. And then this other younger black guy is there. He's like, no, that's Captain America. And it was also very cheesy, but, like, really effective in a certain way. Um, I mean, it's the kind of thing that makes you smile, but, like, it is so cheesy. But, yeah, uh, look, I like this show. It it didn't – I think I said probably three episodes ago that this was one of the better – more ambitious projects that they have done in a while. I stick the ambition part. I think is true. I don't, it didn't end as great as it started for for me personally. I think it's good. Everyone should watch it. Um, and it is very ambitious in the way it tackles race. Like none of the other, uh, Marvel projects have ever done, but it does 
doesn't end as great as I felt like it started. Now, Sam, uh, what do you think? Uh, next, will, will there be a season two of this show? I mean, I guess they're going to have to retitle it. And also, uh, does Bucky hook up with Sam's sister? You know, I wish they would have done another like nod to that at the end, like because there is an ending scene where there's the music playing and they're having a uh, like a crawfish boil or something, and people are taking pictures with Captain America and Bucky's like playing with the kids on his his metal arm or whatever. I wish they would have nodded to like have them have like a glance at each other or something, even if you're not going to continue with that relationship, like just nod to it for us because that was one of the generally more like entertaining moments of the last episode. Um, I don't think they will, but I wish they would. That would be a fan- fantastic storyline. I do think there will be a second season. I don't know what it will be called, but um, their camaraderie is good. I don't think you just throw that away. Um, I don't know what they would do with it. I mean, it's it can't be the Falcon and the Winter Soldier anymore because the Falcon is no longer Sam Wilson and uh, Bucky Barnes has officially laid down his Winter Soldier like demons. So... Yeah, I don't know if you call it like Captain America and the White Wolf or whatever his nickname is by the Wakandans, but yeah, it's uh, I I don't think you throw away their camaraderie. Uh, well, Sam, let's wrap things up here and let's take a quick break. And we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk nobody and also some HBO shows. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, for the first time on the show. Uh, we're going to be talking about a film whose title conveys exactly who should watch it. Uh, Nobody, starring Bob Odenkirk. Uh, Sam, what did you think of this film? Well, clearly you didn't like it. I thought this film was fun. I thought it was... Uh, like This is a good movie that's been done before in different ways. It, it's it's fun, though. I, I Let's just start with that. Um there's some good action, some clever type stuff in here. Uh, it doesn't lean enough into the comedy that Bob Odenkirk could bring to this, in my opinion. It, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but he, the character feels very much like a Saul, Saul character. Like it feels right within that same range to me. Um, you know, they're very different in a lot of ways, but just the way he portrays it just feels in that same sort of line. I think there's there's a lot of good actors in this movie, like a lot of good actors, and a lot of them aren't given much, if anything, to do. Um, Connie Nielsen is his wife, person I've had a crush on ever since I first saw uh, The Devil's Advocate. The Devil's Advocate. Yeah. Uh, Michael Ironside is his father-in-law, I guess. Love Michael Ironside, given like almost nothing to do, and he looks terrible. Um, so I hope that was just a lot of makeup and a fat suit, but I'm not sure. Uh, Christopher Lloyd plays his dad, who isn't given much to do until the end. When he comes in, I enjoyed his like his presence at the end. And then uh, the RZA is his like buddy shows up at the end as well. Uh, spoiler alert, by the way. Um, Come on, Sam. Jeez. The, the, like I said, it. I okay. One thing I loved was the music. I'll say it, there was a lot of good like eighty songs in here. I loved the uh, the music in this movie, but. This is very much like a mixture of the Equalizer and John Wick and I think like a history of violence. You mash those movies up and you get nobody. And it's not as good as some of those, particularly John Wick. But it is it is fun. It is a fun movie to me. 
Sam, uh, how did you see this film? Did you see it in theaters or did you get it on demand? On demand, yeah. No, not in theaters. Uh, listen, people, this movie stinks. Uh, I turned it off a half an hour in. Uh, it, it was hard to sit through just that long. Okay, uh, so this movie is about a limp dick loser who's lost his boner for life. Um, and uh, then, you know, uh, his wife won't sleep with him. His kids hate him. He can't remember to put out the trash. Yada, yada, yada. And then one night, some uh, drugged up thugs or whatever, you know, a couple like breaks into his house. Uh, and, you know, it, but he doesn't do anything about it. Like, he has a golf club in his hand, but, you know, he won't, uh, you know, hit these people. He's become the ultimate pussy, right? Um, and after that, you know, he decides, you know, the only way to get his manhood back is to, you know, become like a violent son of a bitch and, uh, you know, start kicking some ass, right? Uh, but, and so that all leads to, he, you know, he goes to their house and uh, he's like, you know, give me the kitty cat bracelet, you know, because what really sets him over the top, right, is his daughter's kitty cat bracelet uh, is missing, right? That, that's the real thing. But I have a whole problem with the whole thing about how, like, this guy has become so passive that, you know, he can't, like, even, like, hit a burglar, right? Because they sort of undercut that when they say, like, that he didn't hit them because he saw the bullets in the gun. Do you know the, do you know, do you know the moment I'm talking about? Yeah. So what is it? Is he a giant pussy, or did he see the bullets so in the gun and he was doing the smart thing? You didn't keep watching the movie, because there's way more to his Yeah, back. no, I didn't. There's way more yeah, to his oh, backstory. But, but like, what do you think about that moment? Like, is he a pussy, or is he a genius for he saw the bullets in the gun? Which is ridiculous is, that he saw that there's no bullets in the that gun. That wasn't, like... The, they get at it later in the movie, like... It's not only that he saw that there were no bullets in the gun. It's that he... I don't know. I don't know how far you got, but basically, I'm a big. Spoiler. I got a half an hour. I didn't make it to quite to the end of the bus scene, which we're going to talk about. Okay, a uh, big spoiler alert is like he used to be basically he was a um, like a cleanup guy for the government, right? So like he would go in and like kill people and like clean up messes in the government. Like so, he was basically like a you know, James Bond, but like just the, you know, the murdering version or so I don't know how to explain it. They call his, his job as an auditor. Um, so he's like an expert, uh, assassin essentially. And he gets, he says sort of later in the movie that he left that life. Cause he, he saw like this one guy he let live. He didn't kill this one guy when he was doing that job. And he went back and like saw this guy years later and he did like he was a bad guy, but he reformed his life and he had wife and kids and he thought to himself like he wanted to be like that guy. And that's why part of the reason he didn't swing the golf club is like he wanted to like lay down his uh, violent past. He wanted to be this sort of guy with it, but it just isn't working out in his life. Like it worked out for this other guy. Um, but that was why like he, he felt like if he if he beats that guy up with the golf club and it turns out they're not terrible people like they had a kid with some medical problems and like yeah i got that far but anyway uh yeah like but he, they're still he, terrible people just terrible people with a kid with medical problems they're not terrible they tried to rob him so no, they, could, sam, they could pay for their sam, kid they are with, terrible people they are pay terrible with their people. kid uh, with medical going, problems uh, just because so someone commits a crime doesn't mean they're a terrible person right like you you know what you're right and carly's not a terrorist either okay sam uh let, let's keep going here uh that scene though when he does confront these people uh, I, I feel like so much of this movie is, is encapsulated when he's like in that line, give me the kitty cat bracelet. Okay. What's your reaction to that line specific? Cause like you, you described the movie as being like clever. Did you, I, you might've said it was funny, 
maybe I just couldn't get on the same frequency as this movie. Because I, I, I thought it was just tonally it didn't know quite what it wanted to be. I thought that line was just weird. I didn't believe the delivery. Frankly, I didn't buy Bob Odenkirk as an action star either. I thought this was a bad Bob Odenkirk performance. And I love Bob Odenkirk. He's a great actor. Great actors have bad performances. Great writers write bad books. Great singers have bad songs. Uh, but what did you think of the give me the kitty cat bracelet moment? It it didn't work. I didn't think this movie was funny. I think it, I said it It could be. They should have leaned. It's fun in terms of the action, but it's not funny. Like they, they didn't go. They weren't really going for comedy. Like there are com- comedic bits and that tries to be one. But it's not really going for comedy, and they should have. Honestly, if they leaned into the comedy more, I think this would have been a much better movie. When I said there was clever stuff, I meant like action-wise, some of the you again, you didn't get to the to the ending action action scene, but there's some like clever action stuff in there. Um, but that's what I meant. Like there, yeah. There's not this movie is not original in any real way, and it's not particularly clever in story or plot-wise. But um, it's fun in terms of just watching it for reaction. And it's not very long. So, you know, that helps. Just Fell long to me, but it is only an hour and a half. Uh, but you're right. It is similar to John Wick. It's written by the same guy who wrote all three John Wicks as well. Um, so now after he, uh, you know, goes to the house of the people who actually mugged him, uh, he gets on a bus and it leads to a scene, which is why I had to turn the film off because this scene was so bad. Uh, but so Bob Odenkirk is taking the bus home, right? And then ne- the bus is like stopped at a red light or something. And then next to him, like a luxury SUV uh, just plows into a barricade and also the bus a little bit. And it crashes into those two things. Uh, and these like four drunk Russians just stumble out, right? And uh, they're all wearing leather jackets. They're all hammered. And they get on the bus and just start like messing with everyone on the bus and you know, there's one woman on the bus, and they, the four of them decide that they're just going to, out of nowhere, these guys just show up, and they just decide that they're going to rape this one woman, right? Like These people are, are not attached to real life at all. I think they, the film was so over the top and made these people so exaggeratedly bad because that's the only way that they could justify the violence that was going to come. But like, I just feel like you had to turn your brain off so much for this scene, and so then it leads to a fight. Uh, that is uber violent. It it goes on for like five minutes, but there's no real stakes to it. We all know that Bob Odenkirk is going to come out on top at the end. Uh, Sam, I, I just want to know, like, what did you think of this bus fight scene and how it was set up and how they just introduced, like, those characters had nothing to do with the film and they're just thrown in there. Uh, what did you think of that fight scene and, like, what goes on in your head in that fight scene? Are you like, hell yeah, this is awesome. Is your body pumping with adrenaline? Like, what does that really do for anyone? They they did have a lot to do with the movie because you turned it off after that and they're they're no I'm what did they what do they have to do with it before then like like how were they tied to like his whole transformation? Uh, they're not you know they're just a trigger. They're not they just crash into the movie is what I'm saying. There's no causality at all. Yeah, I I, I think you're taking this way too seriously. This movie way too seriously. I mean, I don't know. I I didn't have a problem with that. I I thought that action scene was fun. It's brutal. It's like trying to be very. So you thought brutal. it was fun. Yeah, like I mean, it's Bob Odenkirk is kicking ass and getting his ass kicked. Um, you know, it, there's some. I don't know. I, I don't know how to, ex- to explain it. I mean, it's a to me, it's a good action scene. Like it's just like very close quarters, kicking ass. I don't know how else to describe it. I had no problem with it. 
personally. Okay. You don't have to defend yourself. I, I would just cure. I mean, the scene did nothing for me, but I was just curious if that, you know, got you going. Guess it did. Uh, okay. My only other question for this film is, uh, did he buy the manufacturing business at the end? And does he get to sleep with his wife again? Uh, he does buy the business. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, a wrap up of what happens basically. But Great. he, he, um, you know, he basically he kills or he kills some of these guys or he beats the shit out of them on the bus. Turns out they're like Russian mobsters connected to a guy who's like a very violent, uber evil sort of Russian mobster and like gets revenge because one of them is his brother. Anyway, so they come after him and they do so unsuccessfully like a couple times. Like he, he you know, fucks him up a couple times, kills a bunch of the Russian mobsters goons. And then um, he has a bunch of gold, like, stashed somewhere in his home, takes all the gold, gives it to Michael Ironside, who's his father-in-law, buys the business, and then uses it as, like, the ultimate place where he lures the Russian mobster and all his goons to at the end and, like, sets up a bunch of traps. You ever, you've seen, have you seen The Equalizer with Denzel Washington? Well, I don't remember it at all. But you know? it's a yeah, very similar remember, scene yeah. to what happens in there because in that movie, Denzel works at like a Costco type place and he lures a bunch of bad guys to the Costco and has traps set up all over the place. It's similar in that. Like he sets up traps. Um, Christopher Lloyd and the Rizzas show up and they're like in a, it's a big shootout and there's some cool, cool shit going on in there and it's a fun like thing. And yeah, uh, you don't see him bang Connie Nielsen at the end, but you they like buy a house together. He jumps back into his old life. Like he realizes he can't, he he misses his old life. She accepts that of him. It's hard to say if she knew exactly that he was that person before or not. seems like she was in on it somehow, but they're buying a new house and like their, their marriage is rekindled. Cause I guess is what you're trying to. Okay, good. Well, listen, Sam, I assure you, I did not take this film too seriously, but I do take my time very seriously. And I think that this film is a giant waste of it. I would recommend nobody watch a second of this film. Uh, Sam, this film is in theaters and on VOD. Uh, do you recommend it? And do you really think this is worth people's money? I do recommend it. I wouldn't pay for it. You I, think people should... Oh, you wouldn't pay for it. I oh, would okay. wait till it comes out on Netflix or whatever streaming service picks it up. I would not go see it in the theater or pay the $17, whatever it, it was on vod uh. okay uh let's move on sam next to uh, a pair of hbo shows uh let's start with made for love uh you know what, sam i'll go first on this but first i'm curious how many episodes of this did you watch i watched three okay uh i watched one and then stopped uh i thought this was pretty bad as well uh, and I'll explain why. I, I, for this, I just could not get on board with the premise. Uh, so it's got uh, Kristen Milioti. Uh, is, uh, she's back in Palm Springs. I hope she owns real estate out there because she's out there a lot. Uh, you know, an, an actress that we like on this podcast, I think. Um, and she's, uh, you know, married to Billy Magnuson. Uh, first of all, Sam, question. Uh, does Billy Magnuson look like an older Joe Burrow or is it just me? I wouldn't. Yeah, he kind of does. Now that you say that. I I'm Joel Bur Joe Burrow might look older than Billy Magnuson. That guy, like he, he looks so young. But yeah, I, I didn't. He I wouldn't have thought of that. But that's a good. They do kind of look similar. Yeah. Okay, and uh, now Billy Magnuson is sort of the stand-in for like the CEO of this Google uh, stand-in company, right? It's called Google. And, uh, <laughs> it's Google, not Google. Yeah. 
And uh, now they've been married for on this show. They've they've been they've been married for like ten years, right? Or is it just dating? Uh, what's their relationship? It, it's it was hard to figure out the time frame of this show, like where it's taking, how long it's taking place, how long they've been together. Um, it's so, like ten or eleven years they've been together. Yeah, I had. Um, they I, haven't like left the Google compound in like it's either seven years or ten years as well or something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this this tech company is coming out with this implant. Uh, that couples can get in their head, and once these couples get this implant, they be- they become one uh, being pretty much. Like they think the same thoughts or whatever. There's always on uh, the complete page or whatever, and uh, so his company's developing this. And but it, we'll get back to that product in a minute. Cause that's that's my major problem with the show. Uh, and then uh, so Billy and Kristen, you know, they have a party at their house in uh, Palm Springs where they were at one night. And uh, they announced that they're going to be the first couple to get this chip put in their brain. Uh, you know, I should backtrack a second because there's a lot of weird stuff going on in this relationship. Like after, you know, after every time he goes down on her and every time they have sex, like she has to give like orgasm reviews, like to a computer, to, like like rating like five things about the orgasm. Like how did you feel afterward? How did you feel during? Like are you satisfied in the relationship? All this really weird stuff. Um, and apparently they've been together for ten years. Um, but like at this party, this company party, Billy Magnuson announces that they're going to be the first couple to get this chip. And then Kristen Milioti is like, whoa, that's too much. Okay, now that's an infringement on my independence. And uh, listen, I, I just could not get on board with this show just because this product, this chip sounds so stupid. I don't know a single person who would ever go for this chip. Okay, the movie or the show kind of. Uh, reminded me of her and Ex Machina, but it's not fair to those things to compare this show to them, uh, except those two things, like, I could believe in people falling in love with their phone, uh, because one, like, half of the world already is in love with their phone, uh, and then two, Ex Machina, like, I can believe people wanting to have sex and falling in love with robots, because, you know, I mean, like, uh, it's just, I can totally believe that. Uh, but, like, this show doesn't play it straight, and I don't believe the premise they're going for, so I was out after one episode. Uh, Sam, what did you think of this show? actually agree in a lot of ways i watched more because i wanted to see what would happen um this show is a comedy i guess it's not that funny i mean i guess if you had to put it in a genre i put it in comedy um they don't play into the comedy much or if they do it's not like i don't know where the jokes are personally um the non there's a lot of non-linear storytelling story there's a lot of like cliches in this that like bother me here more than it would most times like there's non-linear story storytelling which to what you were saying before i made it hard for me to really orient the story uh like how long time is passing um like you start with her escaping this compound but then it goes back and it's just hard to figure out like what the time frame for this stuff is it's kind of annoying um his story, and I think you hit on this, has been done in different ways. Like uh, Black Mirror did a, a similar type story to this a few years ago. There's a show on Netflix right now, which I think has a similar like app around love story, but I think it's more thriller. Um, I think it's called The One or something like that, um, which I haven't seen it, but I know it's like centered around an app and dating something. But um yeah, I actually the biggest problem I have with it, and it, it's more clear watching having watched two more than you, is why it's un. I can't figure out why she's with this guy. Like it, it, it comes out in the third episode that they had their first date and got married on the same day, right? Like they met, got married on the same day. 
This dude is an unlikable megalomaniac, narcissist, douchebag. And it's like she is, for all intents and purposes, seems like a normal-ish person. Um, why she likes him, why she married him. If there, I mean, I'm assuming it comes out that she's been under some sort of mind control the whole time because I don't understand what like the attraction to this guy is other than he's like super good looking and rich because he is just a terrible person. It, it just like yeah, it's hard to figure out why she. The whole thing with Ray, did you, I don't know if it's in the first episode. Ray Romano's in the first episode, right? Uh, yes, and then I, he shows up uh, having sex with like a doll okay. again, and I like that. Did you? I thought it was so bizarre. That was the weirdest. I thought thing. it was funny. I can't. I thought it was a funny ending. I okay, can't. That was my favorite part of the episode. I can't figure out like the the he's he's in love with a sex doll, and they keep going with it. Um, it's not that he was just banging a sex doll. Like he legit loves the sex doll. Uh, he sees the sex doll as like his wife died, so. Kristen Milioti's character's mother had died years ago and they apparently had like semi happy childhood, but he fell off the wagon when his wife died and now he's like banging and in love with his sex doll. So he's clearly like distraught from his wife dying, whatever. It's so weird. It is so weird. It is kind of funny. I give it that, but like I would have never expected that to be a, a, a plot point in the, in any show. Um, but yeah, I, generally, I don't think it's particularly good. Um, it, yeah, it just it's so unbelievable. And this comes off of watching nobody or just talking about nobody, which is also unbelievable. But to me, that's fun. I, this is not particularly fun. It's not funny. So there's there's nothing for me to like latch on to here. It's just it's just weird and nonsensical in so many ways. I was surprised to see Ray Romano show. I mean, I feel like he's like, I mean, just like from the success of that sitcom, he's still an A-lister in my mind. Like, can he not get better roles? I, I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, to me, he is an A-lister, but I haven't seen him in anything in a long time. Um, and yeah. this is a, and my thought exactly was what a bizarre role for him to take. It must have like appealed to him on like a challenge level or something. Cause this is so outside of anything you've ever seen Ray Romano do like uh, he was the um wasn't he in the movie with uh Kumail Nanjiani wasn't he or I'm thinking of somebody the, the big, big sick are you thinking was of? he the wasn't he the dad in the big sick with Holly Hunter or am I wrong about that I don't remember I I don't I think of him in that David O. Russell movie with Jennifer Lawrence um that's the last thing I can remember him in but I don't know Anyway, uh, like he usually plays pretty straight characters. This is not that and whatsoever. Um, he's the most likable character on the show, to be honest, even though he is banging a sex doll. But um, yeah, it's a, it was, that was my thought exactly. This is such a weird role for him. I, I don't know what about it appealed to him other than it's just very different from anything he's ever done before. But yeah, uh, like that's what I, I thought. Like from everybody loves Raymond to this is, that's not a straight line. <laughs> And you kind of hit on this earlier, but I mean, uh, in this show, Kristen, uh, Kristen Milioti seems like she's like a really independent woman. She seems like she has it together. She seems like she can, like she's an autonomous human being. And if that's so, why was she with this guy for 11 years, you know, giving like orgasm reviews and putting up, you know, with all of this creepy, uh, you know, behavior? I, I, I don't get that. So yeah, I am out on this show as well. I just want to say this show is sitting at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, so, hey, maybe we missed something, people, but I, I think people steer clear of this. I, I don't think it's any good. 
Agree. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to keep watching it. Well, Sam, uh, let's talk about our last show of the week. Uh, Mayor of Easttown, uh, starring Kate Winslet. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about the Nevers, and I said that HBO was like kind of trying to reverse engineer a hit. You know, they were like, you know, here's some action, here's some sci-fi, here's a boatload of characters, uh, here's nudity. Uh, it turns out all I needed was Kate Winslet talking in a Philly accent. Okay, I absolutely love this show. Okay, thoroughly enjoyed it, start to finish. Okay, uh, I mean, this is it's going to be about uh, you know solving a murder. But listen, the, the whole murder thing is just gravy to me, okay? I would just hang out with Kate Winslet for an hour as this character, okay? I thought she was hilarious. I think she's on one. Absolutely love this performance. I, I, I really enjoyed this debut episode. Sam, how do you feel about Mayor of Easttown? I like it as well. Uh, Kate Winslet is great. The the accents, she, she is nailing the sort of Philly-adjacent accent. Um, but a lot of the other people in here are going for it. Um, I read a couple articles about how like the Philly accent is one of the hardest accents to do on film. Um, and you don't see a lot of people try it in film cause it is so like difficult to get right. Um, you know, like Stallone did a New York accent when he was the most iconic, you know, fictional Philly character of all time is Rocky. Like he never did a Philly accent. Like he was doing his New York accent. Um, but she is getting it pretty spot on but like i do like that a lot of the characters are going for it even if they're not all nailing it like her um she is great she is very eminently watchable in this um this is like one of those hbo very character driven shows that's not going to appeal to a lot of people um although the preview for the next i think this show is going to appeal to a lot of people i think this is a great show i think it's going to be a hit i i I don't know if it'll be a hit, but I think it'll be good. I mean, uh, I already saw that the ratings were good. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, but I like the preview for the next for what's on this season or whatever made it seem a lot more exciting, which is strange because this was not this. This show was very like grounded, and it, this episode I should say was very grounded and character driven. Um, but there seems like I, I thought it was a weird teaser to go from like what we just saw to playing into the sort of more crimey thriller aspect of it. But uh, I, no, see, I, I didn't watch that, but specifically not. I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know anything. Uh, about yeah. I won't, but it, it was, yeah, it was really good. You know, all the characters are very compelling. She is, she is very compelling. Um, yeah. I'm excited to see what we had happens. Guy Pierce show up. I was surprised by I want, that, but I, I liked seeing him. I wanted to ask you about Guy Pierce specifically. What did you think? Go ahead. No, what did you think of his character showing him? Like, I love him too. I love that he shows up. What did you think of his character? I liked it. I mean, I I really enjoyed everything about this episode. I enjoyed his presence. Guy Pierce is clearly the Patrick Harrison substitute of the mayor of Easttown, a guy who wrote the great American novel. See, that guy wrote one good book. I'm telling you, the next one is honestly, it's going to be even better. It's, it's going great. Uh, okay. Uh, Sam, uh, Let's talk a little more about the show. Uh, you know immediately that uh, the young mother is going to die from like the first frame that she shows up, right? Well, I, once I figured out that she wasn't Kate Winslet's daughter, um, yeah, it was clear oh, okay. that she would be some sort of murder victim. Yeah, yeah, I think it's so obvious that she's going to die, but like 
that doesn't matter because like e- like the show does like even what you expect so well you know like when like when they get to that last shot of her at the end and they're co- and they're going to the body like i like i knew the whole episode she's going to die but i was still like no please don't be her because like i thought that actress did a great job i thought she was so likable the entire time uh but you know so this show is like trotting on familiar territory but it's doing those things uh so well uh sam question for you uh i at this point uh who do you think killed this most recent victim uh who do you think killed the year old victim uh do you think they're the same and do you think that that person is the same as the peeper i want your predictions uh right now oh episode one i see i hate looking ahead like this because i kind of want to be surprise so i wouldn't i wouldn't even have uh, tried to think about it uh but okay i yeah because i i just like when if i try too hard to get into who's doing what like i'll do it while i'm watching but i don't like trying to because i like being surprised by that by what happens but um i'll say the boyfriend was involved you know or the ex-boyfriend slash baby uh baby daddy he's got to be involved somehow right you know yeah, no, probably not. That's just a misdirect red herring. Who knows? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with her father. He seemed like a shady character to me. Uh, I, I'm not sure if the killer is the same as the peeper who was standing in the yard. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I do have to give a shout out to this show's production design. Uh, I absolutely love just seeing like the only thing people are drinking in this show is Yingling and Rolling Rock. Uh, I absolutely love that. And also just like the things in the house. Like everybody I know in Pennsylvania has like the same blankets hanging over their couches and chairs and stuff. So shout out to the production team. I I feel like they did a great job. Well, let's wrap up the discussion there. Uh, Next week, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the new release, HBO Max and theater release, uh, Mortal Kombat. Uh, Sam, uh, what do you think the odds are of me finishing Mortal Kombat? Uh, Almost almost zero. I hope you do because... Sub zero, probably. There's yeah. two. There we go. Boom. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Here we go. Okay, I got to use the drop. Great. Uh, we're also going to be talking about Stowaway, uh, a new space movie on Netflix. You know, I don't think I don't feel like we've talked about a Netflix thing in a, in a minute on this show. So I'm excited to get back to them. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Stowaway, a space movie starring Anna Kendrick, maybe a couple other people we've heard of. I've not looked that far into it. Uh, and then we're also going to be talking about Shadow and Bone, uh, a new uh, YA uh, fantasy series. Uh, which Sam just told me is uh, Netflix trying to create their own next Game of Thrones. So I'm excited to talk about that now. Uh, but anyway, uh, I've been Patrick. He's been Sam. You can follow us on Instagram at Spilling and Dealing Podcast. You can email us anytime with your feedback at spillinganddealing at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message at any time. There is a link in the show notes. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next week.